You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Fathoms podcast, where all your Enneagram dreams come true. (laughs) (laughs) New tagline, done. (laughs) This week, anyway, this week we, uh, we interviewed the masterful Deborah Uten. Deborah is the founder and director of the Conscious Living Center, within which she has her own Enneagram Immersion Certification Program, which I've heard really, really great things about. Um, she has her doctorate in clinical psychology, and she's also an occupational therapist. She's certified by Don Beck in Spiral Dynamics. We'll get into whatever that is at some point in another episode, but she's also certified in uh, um, the narrative tradition as well. And she's served on the board of the International Enneagram Association for six years as the president of the International Enneagram Association. So um, I don't know how we keep getting these Enneagram masters, but you know, Deborah is definitely one of them. And I so yeah. appreciated and enjoyed our conversation. Creek and Drew, what do, you, what do you guys think? I thought it was amazing. She is brilliant. And uh, I think her energy came through on this episode in a really profound way. I, yeah. I really loved uh, some of the terrain that we covered. We we continued the conversation on ego and essence, but she really helped us see it through her expertise on working with children. And uh, I really love when she talked about uh, essence and children. She really got into how we understand uh, children's essence and used some language around uh, divinity. You know, in my own kind of tradition that I was raised in. It was easy for me to see kind of the what's known as the Imago Dei or uh, the image of the divine that is reflected in every human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she mm-hmm. covers that really well, but in a yeah. way that's accessible to a lot of different faith traditions. Yeah. I, the thing that just kind of stuck out to me throughout the whole conversation um, and then afterwards kind of re-listening to it was um, what she said. She said uh, that the language of children is imagination and how far that stretches into, into unlearning your patterns, into knowing how to live um, with more consciousness, with more lightness, but it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a frivolous lightness. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a heavy lightness. Um, Right. So it was, that was the thing that really stuck out to me. And also in this episode, we actually get into some type-specific stuff, which is the first time that we've gotten into that sort of thing. So really interesting um, stuff. She talks about verbal and nonverbal cues um, that each type experiences and how other types experience the other type. So really fascinating stuff and um, really interesting to see um, not just trait-based descriptions, but something that has a little bit more depth and clarity to it. Also, another fun announcement. Listen to this podcast. You know that I have a book coming out next month called The Enneagram of Discernment, The Way of Vocation, Wisdom, and Practice. And my publisher, Fall City Press, has generously offered a special pre-order discount to Fathom's listeners. So if you go to the link in the show notes, uh, which will take you to the pre-order link and at checkout, use the code fathoms pre. So fathoms P R E you will receive 20% off of the book. Yes. So good. Amazing. Many thanks to 
the people at Fall City Press for making that happen. And if you want the opportunity to win a potential free copy of the book, yes. head on over to our Instagram. We're going to be announcing some giveaway stuff real soon. So, And it's not just going to be books. It's going to be something from me and something from Abram. And it it is. It is magical and making all your dreams come true. That's that's what we're here for. <laughs> it's, it's a festival of Enneagram stuff. <laughs> it's going to be good. Well, yes, um, awesome. we're so excited for you guys to uh, listen to this this episode with Deborah. She's really amazing. Um, and so without further boring you with our voices, here is <laughs> our conversation interview with Deborah. Well, welcome, Deborah, and thanks so much for being a guest on our podcast. We're grateful to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so are we. Um, so to start, how are you? How, how have you been during this global <laughs> pandemic and quarantine craziness? Well, I'm, you know, I'm healthy, and I, like, I think that's the best place to lead with. I'm healthy. Everything's going well. <laughs> my family's healthy. My animals are healthy. Right. Everybody's in good shape. Um, you know, it's been interesting. I've been trying to do some things like um, every Monday I do a, you know, a um, sort of like, it's not a podcast, but it's a Zoom call with people around the world, just Mm. sort of supporting people in this Mm. pandemic to help people feel better, sort of like what you guys do. That's awesome. That's what, 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 uh, what, you have dogs, is that right? <laughs> I have a dog, but my daughter, a dog. Okay. yeah, my daughter's in from New York and she's got a dog and then I have a friend who's staying and she has a dog. So we have a, <laughs> we have a few dogs. <laughs> fun. That's amazing. I'm, I'm sure the house is, is quite fun. It is. All right. So Deborah, for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do with the Enneagram? Yeah, Sure. Um, so I have been, oh gosh, working with the Enneagram for many, many, many years. I can't even remember how many. Uh, I have a mm-hmm. PhD in clinical psychology and organizational development, and I um, have a number of companies. One is uh, Conscious Living Center, which is my center located in Cincinnati, Ohio, where my school is located. And of course, I have satellite schools around the world, Cairo, Seoul, I do a lot of online teaching as well. And then I have a corporate training coaching um, uh, company um, that I uh, call Conscious Dynamics. Notice everything's got conscious in it here. <laughs> so um, it's really um, one, of the, one of my favorite things to do is to go into large corporations and work with people, um, you know, again, around the world. So I've been... Um, you know, teaching and training using the Enneagram for a long time. Where did, how did you stumble across the Enneagram? How did that come to be? (laughs) It was many, many years ago. Somebody actually said, you know, you're an eight. And I said, (laughs) I said, (laughs) I don't know what that means. And, uh, you know, and then that person who was a therapist at the time, she's now gone from the world, but she gave me uh, Rizzo Hudson's, um, I think it was, might have been, God, it was their first one. I think it was the Enneagram. And then from there, you know, I decided I was going to, um, you know, become a teacher trainer in, in true typical eight fashion. I thought I'd just read a few books and then start my own thing, right? <laughs> um, and thankfully, mm-hmm. I have a, a lot of sixes in my life, and they're like, uh, no, you need, <laughs> you, need to go, you need to go get some training. And I, so I, off I went to California to train with uh, Dr. David Daniels and Helen Palmer. And that was wow. the first, my first intro to it was with the, with them 
in their training program at Vallambrosa. Wow. And Deborah, this is Drew. I wanted to ask you some questions regarding uh, your work with the Enneagram over the years and children. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I know you've done some work in this space and given your academic and educational background, I think you'd have a lot of interesting things to teach us on this subject. And and so uh, maybe first, I want to ask that classic question that always seems so elusive or people really maybe hedge or, or punt on, which is how, how do we understand the origins of type in, in, in children? You know, there's this nature or nurture debate debate. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. I have lots of thoughts. Lots <laughs> I of thought opinions. you might. I hoped you might. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's the deal. And, you know, and I got this from David, uh, Dr. Daniels, and, and I truly believe it, you know, having two children, you know, of my own in my life, you know, I noticed that they come in with a different temperament, right? Yeah. And so then we as parents interact with them, um, depending on our, you know, our type, uh, according to their temperament. And so I'm a big believer in 50% nature, 50% nurture. Okay. I do know that there are people who believe that you're born with a type. I don't believe that. As a psychologist, I, that's hard for me to, you know, <laughs> to deal with, but I do know we have propensities and temperaments. Yeah. Hmm. So why is that hard for you? For those that believe, you know, believe that you're born with your type, what is it about your psychological background or training that makes that difficult for you to believe or agree with? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I see that we, we you know, we're, we develop and we develop, yeah. uh, you know, across many many, you know, lines of development, but we don't start off with an ego intact. Um, We start off, you know, pretty, um, if you think of it, pretty instinctual. And I, 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 that's why I think it's really hard for me to believe or, or come to grips with we're born with type. Yeah. Just doesn't just doesn't seem right because again, what is type? Uh, type is our ego. It's the defensive structure that we use to you know navigate and survive planet Earth. So yeah. how does that come? How does that come about? Well, first we have to have some interactions with it, right? Mm. With with mm. our environment, the people in the world, and 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 that's what then begins to I think solidify our type. And you know, I th- I think most of us who believe that it's fifty um, fifty believe that it's set in place by you know by seven years old. It's fascinating. Um, I'm wondering then what your thoughts are about not just for- type forming or developing, but then the process of becoming aware maybe of some of those aspects of type. If you have any thoughts, you, you mean uh, the process of us becoming aware of them as adults, yeah. or um, yeah, or maybe what's an appropriate age or level of maturity to begin to become aware of that? You know, I have a um, a website called n the letter n dash one the number one games dot com, and on there it's called "What Is My Soul Character?" So it's an assessment. Um, for children, and we we hmm. say ten and up, basically, um, okay. is where we start. You know, I, I think you know there are obviously you know some kids that are more precocious, and those kids are, you might be able to go in and take the test a little early. But I I don't think we're going to go wrong if we wait until ten years of age. And we'll mm-hmm. be sure to put a link to that website in, in the show notes. Sounds okay. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Deborah, I'm I'm curious. You know, some of the psychological language I've I've heard is is that um, enneagram type is less personality and more character structure. It's it's the uh, it's a layer deeper than personality. Um, 
Is that what we're talking about around the age of 10 that's more honed in? Um, you know, I think that's probably one way of looking at it. It's where we start to, you know, it's, you know, we'll say that it's formed by the age of seven and then by the age of 10, I think we start to look at the characteristics of our type mm. and, and we mm-hmm. can start seeing different, uh, you know, different ways that it, that it shows up. And it's, you know, it's dependent, even though we have nine types, you know, you could have, you know, nine different ones in a room and they would, could quite possibly look different because in part, you know, there's something like a familial overlay, like mm-hmm. how our, what our parents' types were or are, you know, play into, um, you know, how we, how we utilize the defensive structure of our type to navigate the world. Yeah. Well, what would you, um, what would you say to any parent listening? You know, I know for me, when I first started the Enneagram, it was like, okay, how can I figure out what my, my, my kids are, you know, so I can figure out how to raise them best. And I think there's this tendency to to probably do that too early and then project that onto them. And that doesn't allow them to figure it out for themselves, which is so much of the actual process, right? right? Um, you know, I can tell you it's really important not to put a type on them and to let them kind of come to it on their own because if, you know, you don't want to turn them off because it is a great strategy for success, you know. So, the most important thing I can say to parents is, you know, and, and this comes out of my fourth way work, the fourth way teachings. Um, an author mm-hmm. by the name of Lillian Firestone uh, wrote a book called The Forgotten Language of Children. And she's a, she's a great author, number one, and she was, you know, really steeped in the fourth way work. And what she said and what Gurdjieff and she and some of the other, quote, teachers in that arena was that we often have difficulty speaking with our children because we've forgotten their language. Mm. And mm. the language of children is, you know, imagination. It's like when, a, when children hear a story aloud, they must then use their imagination to make a picture of it for themselves. And I have a three-year-old granddaughter, and I've been watching her, you know, um, in her development. And it's just been fascinating to watch. Now that, you know, I know the Enneagram and I'm watching her, I see, you know, by by really just mirroring her 100%, um, she unfolds herself all by herself with no help mm. of mommy, daddy, or, or me, BB. Um, so it's really a fascinating mm. thing to watch. So it is yeah. about just, just watching and being curious. And, and I mean, what would you, how would you instruct parents on, obviously we don't want to uh, purposely do things to um, entrench our child in their ego even more, but like, how, right. how do you, how do you interact with your child in a way that is both developing a healthy sense of self Um, but not uh, disrupting that sort of pattern? You know, I think the best way is empathically. I think it's, um, you know, lovingly, you know, kindly, um, us being conscious and aware of our own stuff Mm -hmm. and allowing the child to unfold. I really believe it's important to mirror the child, you know, Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. much as you possibly can. When my, you know, when my granddaughter comes up with something like uh, that she thinks is important, like she draws pictures, you know, and of course she's not an artist, she's just three, and she draws pictures of, you know, the family members, and each one of us have a different color, and so we have to remember what our color is, even though we may look like a circle or a line or a dot, <laughs> um, so that we can mirror back, oh, that's BB, or that's, you know, that's Dada, or Mama, or whomever. 
So mirroring is very yeah. important. Yeah, that's uh, that's really helpful. You know, because as someone who's really interested in the Enneagram and a parent, you know, I, I have five kids, <laughs> ranging yeah in ages from five to <laughs> almost fifteen, and uh, that alone is is a daily lesson that you know, my parenting needs to look different to each child <laughs> and <laughs> because right. of that mirroring that you're talking about and that their personalities are so vastly different. And it uh, often can seem overwhelming to, if I'm being quite honest and transparent that, you know, I have to, even for, as a dominant type three, who can, who's pretty good at shape shifting, right? I, you know, it's, it's hard to shape shift my parenting that quickly sometimes when there's you know, five kids in the house who need mm-hmm. something from me um, and not try to make sense of it by just putting them in this box of type too early. Right. I think yeah. that's important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, the other thing I say is speak to their listening. So once you get, you know, an understanding of their type or, you know, their leaning, then you want to speak to them in a way that they're going to hear you. So you're going to speak to an eight mm-hmm. different differently than you're going to speak to a a three perhaps or a four and so you just want to speak to the child's listening and you know i also say you know whether i'm in corporations or i'm doing couples therapy if you know the type why wouldn't you speak to the, the person in a way that a they're going to understand and b in a way that you know no one's going to take anything personally yeah as we're talking about children deborah one of the uh, conversations that we've been really touching on in previous episodes. It's been somewhat of a theme for us on this podcast uh, are these uh, often used, but often elusive terms of ego and essence, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, they seem to be these terms that are often thrown around in the Enneagram world and uh, really hard to pin down exactly what they are or what people are talking about when they use them. And so I'm wondering, uh, what your thoughts are on the roles of ego and essence, especially as it relates to this conversation on children? Oh, okay, that's putting a lot in there. Okay, yeah. Well, so so children come in completely connected to their own divinity, and for me, when we're talking about essence, we're talking about higher mind and or higher intellect and higher emotion, which actually resides outside of you know, the physical body that houses the three centers of intelligence, the body, the mind, and the heart. And so, um, when we're talking about that, children are, you know, acutely aware of their divinity. You know, they're really, you know, really good at being kind and generous to themselves. It's only as we age that we start to, you know, say things to ourselves that we wouldn't say to another adult, right? Mm. And so, Mm. uh, for me, our ego is synonymous with, you know, our type. Um, And it is, again, as I've said, it's the strategy for success on planet Earth. Uh, It's how we, um, how we, you know, deal with those people who we come into contact with and how we um, deal with uh, situations or circumstances that we come into contact with. Mm -hmm. So, as a child, you know, in the very beginning, there they're going to be more acutely aware of their essence qualities or their, like I say, their divinity or their God self more than their egoic self because they're exploring. They're, you know, as I said, they live in the land of imagination. So they're, you know, heavily into creating their own world. And so it's really, I think, uh, important for us to to try as as 
much as possible to speak to the essence, you know, to speak to their divinity so that they grow up knowing how beautiful and wonderful and amazing they are. And then, then we turn into beautiful, wonderful, amazing people, you know, mm. adults. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, I think, you know, I think it can be confusing because the, um, it's, it's as if the ego and essence uh, conversation is like, well, we want to, you know, like hone our essence and kill off our ego, which is impossible. It's not, yeah. it's not something that can right. be done. Mm-hmm. Right. We really just want to, from my standpoint, we want to grow our, our uh, spiritual self, our spiritual awareness, um, and we want to grow our psychological self, and, and both of those require us awakening, and that awakening only occurs by you know mindfulness and developing an inner observer, you know, or witnessing consciousness. Deborah, how has your work, uh, how has your work with children influenced um, your own personal work and just your work with others? Well, I think it's made me um, softer and gentler. Uh, I think it uh, has allowed me to slow down a little bit. You know, children are so present moment. And again, I'm basing this on my granddaughter. And, you know, she's so present moment. And, um, you know, there's no amount of, you know, distraction that can take me away from her because she notices immediately and, you know, requires me to come right back to her. So uh, she, she's helping me to have a great mindfulness practice, if you will. Mm-hmm really hard right now because you know seven weeks i haven't seen her and that's just like uh you know because we're all in lockdown you know she's in cincinnati and i'm here that's rough yeah um so deborah would you just would you say that um sort of losing an aspect of this essential self is inevitable is that just part of what it means to grow up in a vulnerable in a world with adults who don't who aren't attached or connected to their essential self? Oh God, I you know I would hate to say that that's the truth, and it probably is. So you know, if you've got parents who are not aware, who are not working on themselves, you're gonna be you're gonna start to feel that separation from the divine you. And um, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there are a lot of you know parents out there who um, probably shouldn't be parenting. But I think those of us who know who are working on ourselves, who understand our own, you know, essence qualities, I think we can help people, you know, help the children to be, uh, to grow and develop in a way that um, they don't necessarily have to lose touch with that. I think that's, er- I think that's early training, you know. You know, I saw something that said, you know, children um, become what you say to them. And, you know, like if you've got somebody saying, crappy things to kids you know they're going to feel crappy but if you've got you know a concentrated effort of making that child feel like they're just you know an amazing being then they're going to become amazing beings Hmm. Hmm. wow i like the idea of amazing beings yeah (laughs) (laughs) i like that (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah yeah deborah along with what you were talking about with with just parents maybe not being as conscious it reminds me of um a quote from carl jung uh he says that what usually has the strongest psychic effect on the child is the life which the parents have not Mm. lived yeah yeah and that that just wrecks me me, and it's such yeah it's such a uh 
pull, like a push for me to just do my work. Yeah. Like that's, I feel like that's the best thing we can do for our kids. Absolutely, right? you know, uh, that, and that's one of the things when we talk about children. You know, my um, co-teacher is Kathy Hudson, and she taught with me in California last year this thing on children. You know. Um, and basically what we say is, you know, it's really vital that the parents work on themselves. And if they're, if we're working on ourselves then the kids will be okay, you know, it's, okay. It, you know, um, oh, I can't remember. I think it was Dorothy Dinnerstein said, you know, we just need good enough mothering or good enough mm. parenting. Right. You know, we don't have to be right. perfect at it because how do we know how to be perfect at it? You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of unless you're a one, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's it's still trial and error. You know, it's like uh, what works yeah, with this kid yeah. might not work with the next mm, kid. Right. And so, kids are coming yeah. in, I think, with a greater uh, expanded awareness. They're coming in at a higher level of consciousness than you know than we than we did, um, you know, or than than their parents are. And so we've set them up for, you know, a whole another level of awareness. Um, and so that's a good thing, as long as we can get out of the way and not like you know believe that our way is the right way or the only way. Yeah, Deborah, I, I, right. this makes me think of something that I experience every day, although in this strange kind of in-between space during the global pandemic, not nearly the, to the same level. Like I work at a college, you know, I'm a college professor at a small private residential college in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And our students are coming to us, you know, who are part of this Generation Z. So this new kind of crop of, of children are entering college and statistically, we're hearing that they are the most stressed out generation in American history mm-hmm. and that the, the levels of kind of mental health needs and the anxiety that they're bringing in are, are something that um, in many ways colleges aren't really prepared for. And I, I'm just wondering if you have any insights as a, you know, as a psychologist um, and done this work you know, uh, surrounding children in the Enneagram, if you have any thoughts as to why that might be? Um, any hunches or comments on that? Yeah, you know, my guess is, and you know, again, um, my kids are older; they're almost forty. Um, so, um, but what I can <laughs> tell you is, you know, we're going twenty four seven, and that creates its own stress. And there's a push to be better, best, you know, whatever. Uh, and so these kids are feeling that. Uh, and they, they're they feeling the pressure to perform. I actually read something, I think it was 2010, where the Harvard Business Review said something like, you know, children, we should not encourage our children to go to college unless, A, they are brilliant, and B, they have the financial resources to go without, you know, going into debt. So mm. that kind of thing increases um, the, mm. excuse me, the stress on the kids, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, mm. I think there's a lot of peer pressure that uh, that happens in college, and I don't think that's where the stress is coming from. I think it's from the push to be, you know, the best that you can possibly be, which in this society is very um, um, success-oriented, very three-ish, if you will, Drew. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yeah. drive, 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 you know, get it done. Right. And I think that's hard on. I think that's hard on anybody. I think mm-hmm. one of the benefits, and I hold a Monday um, meeting uh, from three to five on Zoom for anybody who wants to come. And what I was hearing uh, yesterday was um, that people really feel better. 
in the pandemic mm. because you know mm. they like like we were talking about you don't have to take a shower every day you don't have to put your makeup on <laughs> you know you can you know you can just sort of relax the criteria for living mm. you know you don't have to get on like my you know my son-in-law and daughter live in Brooklyn and they have an hour commute, you know, both ways on the train. So it's like, you don't, you know, life just kind of slows way down. Yeah. And I think that's extremely helpful, Mm. but I think the stress comes from our push to be, you know, the best, the brightest. And I think there's a mental health toll and a financial toll on kids right now. I don't know if you guys are aware Mm. of this, you know, in your university drew, but right now there's a real push for trade trade um degrees like oh yeah you know, you know like um i partner with toyota to help set up a you know a school for welders and dye manufacturers and you know things like that so really and <laughs> it's it's amazing they make more money than you know some of the kids who have a four or oh, yeah. you know or a master's degree even yeah and so it's i think we you know i think we need to you know help help children to know that they have a number of options and that they don't have to feel this stressed deb i don't know if you know uh of the fathers David yes, and of Catherine course, Robert. I'm good friends with both of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they explicitly say that you're born with type, but I, I know that um, I've, I've hung out with David um, a handful of times, and you know, I've just heard them talk about facial typing by facial, uh, by, by the facial mm-hmm. structure, and, and I've heard of you know other, other people's work like Carolyn Mays, who says that our biography informs our biology. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like babies have enough biography yet to inform their biology. So I just am wondering about what you think of the the, the facial structure typing and, you know, because they say that you can do that pretty early, if not even, I think, a baby. Mm-hmm. I don't know if David and um, uh, and Catherine really believe that it's um, something that you um, are born with. I think they do see both. Um, as uh, as to the photo analysis and what you're talking about, that uh, that comes mm-hmm. out of Eureka. That was uh, first that I was taught. It was oh. out of the Eureka school by some of the Chazo's students. And um, I do believe that you, um, I do believe that our um, facial structure can be a, a one way to type. I don't think it's the only way. Um, you know, I yeah. prefer typing interviews that last about an hour with deep uh, inquiry into, you know, um, type questions that would reveal, the, you know, your type at whatever um, uh, number that we're, we're talking with. So, um, mm-hmm. I think that is, I think Catherine and David, you know, ha- I've done, I've been to many of their presentations, um, where they, mm. where they utilize photo, uh, analysis and they show, you know, how the eyes look this way. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's another woman, I right. think her name is Bernadette Schmidt and, uh, she's, uh, mm. she's in, I think she's in France and she's huge into facial recognition. Yeah. I have a Ch- Chazo <laughs> has the book. Has the book? I think it's called Photo Analysis, and I have that book. It's back in Cincinnati, but um, you know, I mm. think it's I think it's entirely possible. And having said that, <laughs> we, we are very biased humans, uh, right? And we right. are superior at projecting our beliefs onto everyone around us. Mm -hmm. And so I'm fond of saying, you know, our values create our beliefs and our beliefs create our reality. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I, I understand Carolyn Mace's work. She's an interesting being. Um, and uh, at the same time, I think our biology impacts our biography and mm-hmm. vice versa. So I don't, I don't think it goes just yeah. one way. I think yeah. it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, we're doing a lot. I mean, I've, I'm looking up on my bookshelf right now, seeing a book by, uh, I don't know if you know, Dan Siegel. Um, mm-hmm. He was uh, one of our, oh, yeah. he was one of our keynote speakers at the IEA, International Enneagram Association. And he did uh, mm-hmm. a book on the mindful brain. And, you know, he basically says, you know, you know, our, our, our biology, uh, you know, our genetics um, d- does absolutely have an impact on who we become. So that's the temperament, genetics, uh, our life mm-hmm. conditions, you know, our circumstances, all, all impact. Mm. You know, yeah. I look at life conditions. So I, you know, I do spiral dynamics by Dr. Claire Graves, and that's an important tool for me uh, that I've paired with the Enneagram. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, when you look at the life conditions, there are four life conditions, um, you know, problems, places, time, and circumstances. Okay. Wow. And, and those are paired, those four life conditions are paired with our cognitive capacity. And we're looking at congruency there. You know, how we think about what we think about needs to be in line with those four, um, you know, life conditions. And it colors how we, you know, how we're going to see the world and what we're going to see in other people's faces. I think there's a new book out. I just ordered it actually by uh, Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, I think it's called something Stranger. Um, oh, you, talking to strangers, maybe talking to strangers. Yeah, yeah. And he basically, you know, goes into. Um, I haven't read the book, but I've, you know, heard about it. Uh, he basically goes into um, um, saying that. Um, you know, what we think we're seeing is really not what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we, we're, again, we're projecting onto the others, you yeah. know, based on our perceptions yeah. and, misre- and misreading cues all along the way. Yeah. I think this is like mm-hmm. a, a perfect segue into something else we'd really love to hear your thoughts on is okay. um, you've done a lot of work with uh, verbal and nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so would love it if you could maybe just go around the circle and okay. kind of give a, a <laughs> quick overview of kind of verbal, nonverbal things um, for the types. And this is actually our first time we've actually done type-specific stuff. So congratulations. <laughs> true. You're the first. <laughs> okay, great. My fave. <laughs> All right, that's wonderful. All right, well, let's start with um, let's start with eight. That's a good place to start. And like I like Russ Hudson. He says, we'll build a body, then we'll, you know, put a heart yeah. in it, and then we'll put a mind in it. Yeah. I kind of like that way that's of good. looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so eight has a tendency in their verbal communication to be, you know, honest, uh, their version of honesty at times, honest, bold, blunt, clear, direct, concise, and they're fairly embellishing. You know, eights like to tell a good story. I've often said, don't let the facts get in the way of my story. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's one of my faves. Uh, and non-verbally, I think uh, the eight actually energetically enters their energy, comes into the room before they actually come into the room sometimes, especially the sexual dominant mm-hmm. eight. Um, and where we can sometimes uh, non-verbally be intimidating without even knowing it, you know. 
Um, and uh, we can be uh, oppressive because we can be large and in charge, as they say. Well, I think eights have a tendency to be very grounded in their nonverbal. You know, people see us as kind of like, you know, trees or pyramids, something that's really solid. Um, and as you know, nonverbally, we're very protective. Um, we can also verbally be protective, but we're going to, in our nonverbal, take action around that. Cool. Wow. Want me to just keep going, Yeah, guys? Just, just keep yeah. rolling. Okay. You can skip four. Go we don't it. need to hear about four. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, uh, <laughs> and three while you're at it, unless it's good, of course. <laughs> Nines have a tendency, you know, and we'll go verbal first and then nonverbal mm-hmm. uh, consistency. So nines have a tendency to be, um, you know, either, you know, verbally, there's a, a paucity or like a less than quality to some of their verbalizations and or they can be really great storytellers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then they can give lots of details, sometimes so many details that I want to say start at the end of the story. And now if we have time, we'll go back to the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and, Thank you and, for that. We, we, we will use that. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. And then they can be securitous. So they can, you know, kind of talk in circles at times. There's a, a non-committal quality verbally. Uh, and as as you as you all know, there is a capacity, uh, both verbally and non-verbally, for the uh, nine to be able to see all sides of, of whatever it is. They have a uh, much more of a multiplistic way of seeing life, I think. Um, they're nonverbal is they have a tendency to be kind of laid back. I interviewed a guy yesterday out in Seattle and he thought he was a two and he was straight up nine. Mm. And I could tell it just in his voice, you know, before, before I ever saw him, you know, live in the, in the interview, but they're laid back. They're non-intrusive. There's a pleasant, you know, friendly quality uh, to them. There's also this even temperedness. Um, they can be, as you know, um, conflict avoidant. So they might walk away or withdraw from any kind of, you know, difficulties that show up, which can then cause the difficulties because people want you to engage. Mm. All right. And type one, um, they're um, generally clear and direct and calculated and careful in their languaging of anything. There's a thoughtfulness in their verbalizations. They can be a little black and white, depending on their levels of consciousness. And there's a criticality. And I don't mean like they're criticizing you or me or whomever, but it's you know critical discerning thinking mm-hmm. that comes out in their verbalizations. Mm-hmm. They have a, a capacity, uh, both verbally and non-verbally, to judge good and bad, right and wrong. And they have a tendency to to defend themselves against criticism. So there's a reactivity. Like if I'm going to criticize a one, I know, I, I actually, what I say to people is, you don't need to criticize a one. They've already caught the mistake and they're self-correcting even yeah. as we speak. So, but mm-hmm. you know, they can get defensive if you do criticize them. Hmm. So, yeah. so they're nonverbals. They have a tendency to have uh, more of a rigid body posture. You know, um, they are, I think they are, uh, sharp dressers, you know, clean, crisp, clean, uh, clear. Um, they can have an intense demeanor, sort of like the eights, but not quite as um, energetically large, if you will. They um, 
they have a, they also have an energy that implies, you know, their strict internal standards and expectations of themselves and sometimes others. And you can see that in the way they, um, you know, the way they present themselves. I've often said, and at times, certain ones can be a little socially inappropriate. I've, I've noticed this mm -hmm. over the type times that I've been uh, doing all of this work. There's just, and it's, and it's actually when they're um, feeling playful and they kind of can get a little goofy. I think it's so hard for them to do that, that it, it you know, it, it sneaks up on them and they act a little <laughs> funny, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's go to let's go to the twos. Let's go to the heart center. Um, type twos are generally flattering. You, they're verbally engaging. They want to draw you in. They use you know compliments. Uh, they like to solicit information. You know how are you? How's your children? They know their your children's names. They know you know their birth dates. They, they know a lot of. I'm, yeah. Of course, I'm generalizing here, but sure. they know a yeah. lot. Yeah, um, and they have a tendency to verbally defend against being rejected. So they don't want to be rejected on any level. It's really hard for them, actually. Mm. And that's when I think you can see them go to eight. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, the eyes, and maybe this is some of that facial recognition stuff that you're talking about earlier, but the eyes can be pretty captivating. They, they, I feel like they are seductive, the eyes. They kind of draw you in, right? Mm -hmm. They have a tendency to be verb or physically uh, very attractive. You know, uh, they either are attractive or they work to make themselves attractive. And they have a tendency to present well. They want to you know, look good in their presentation. They can be energetically seductive, they can be very attentive, and they can be physically engaging. I don't think I've ever met a two who hasn't touched me within the first 10 minutes of knowing them. Yeah. Um, and that's kind, of, that's kind of fun, you know, because there's, there's again, it's mm -hmm. the drawing you into their world. All right, let's see. Don't want to talk You're about threes, right? Oh, yeah, I think we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, please. It's good work for me. Okay. Uh, yes, I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So um, threes are, you know, so I my tri my tri type is like a eight three seven. So I am okay. intimate with oh, this type. Oh. Ooh, yeah. So um, the threes have a tendency to verbally be competent and confident. They're clear. They're efficient. They're kind of fast paced. Um, they're concise. They can be self-promoting. And of course, they're, and, you know, this is their verbal stuff and they're goal driven even in the way they speak about things. Now, the problem is because they speak so fast, they can often think, uh, that the message got across when it didn't. And so I always encourage threes to make sure to check, and sevens, by the way, to make sure and check mm. um, that the message landed. Yeah. Um, because their their brains are moving, I think, sometimes faster than, um, than their mouth does, and it doesn't all get out. Oh, yeah. Um, the nonverbals are they present uh, the image that's required for in the situation. You know, that's that shape-shifting you talked about. Yeah. I have a tendency to see them, uh, especially the sexual instinct dominance, show up as the prototypical male or female image. Um, they can morph, so it's that chameleon-like shape-shifting. And the feelings, um, you know, the nonverbal uh, languaging for the threes, the feelings are locked out. And it's, they're locked out frequently. Um, because they're so large, they lock them out by shallow breathing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so there's, yeah, there's this driving themselves forward 
and there's a, uh, you know, uh, forward moving energy. Rarely, I, I had a three I worked with at Procter and Gamble, and she would say, uh, "It doesn't have to be done perfectly. I just have to see it done, checked off the list, and I need to see it in the rearview mirror." Yeah. <laughs> so she wants mm-hmm. to see it completed. Oh yeah, yeah. It, I find it's now a practice for me. By the time I, you know, wake up, get the kids off to school, get to the office you know, throw it on my bag. I have to remind myself to breathe because <laughs> you know, I'm, if I don't tell myself to breathe, I find that I am out of breath and I'm not actually physically exerting myself. Right. Um, more so than a workout or something like that. But I, that shallow breathing, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And again, you know, because mm. you are the center mm. of the heart triad, that should tell us that you have very large feelings. Yeah. And I've ha- I can tell you the times that th- the threes in my practice have felt, it's taken them to their knees, and it takes a day or two to come back because yeah. the feelings are so huge when you, you actually allow yourself to feel them by taking a deep breath. Boy, you know, you're down for the count. Yeah, the recovery is, is it's big. Yeah, it is. It's big. Yeah. I've seen it take. Mm. I've seen it take somebody out for a week before. Yeah. Wow. Um. You know. Yeah, really. It's intense. Okay, so let's talk about the verbal presentation uh, for four, type fours. Now, again, I just want to say, you know, I'm ballparking this for everybody because right. we're all unique. Sure. <laughs> this is a perfect place <laughs> to say it, right? We're all unique. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and so I'm just giving gener- generalizations here. Mm-hmm. But the fours have a tendency to be emotional in their content. Uh, their verbal content, and they can be moody. I say there's a liability to them. You know, they can go up real high and down real low, maybe in mm-hmm. a nanosecond. You know, there's an intensity, especially with the sexual instinct dominance. Um, they can be angry and, you know, uh, fiery uh, at times. And so there's, um, and also there's a verbal, a verbalization on what's missing, what's missing, what's unique. The other thing that I think they verbalize a lot is the beauty. They, you know, everything's beautiful, even death. I once had a four tell a story of a leaf falling in the fall. And I'm, I swear to God, it was so seducing to listen to the death of a leaf. You know, mm. <laughs> it was just an amazing way to show up. Um, they're, yeah, their nonverbals have a tendency um, to be... Um, you know, unique. Uh, I know we say that, but there's their dress and presentation is unique in it in itself. Um, they don't want to be ordinary. They generally add something, you know, to the to the their wardrobe that may, helps them to stand out. And there is um, there's an intensity in the style. I think there's a felt sense of the impact that they have on others. Often, when I ask, um, you know. Um, what does authenticity mean to you? Or, you know, how do you know if somebody's real? It's usually they feel it, you know, it's like it comes into them and they also have an impact, a felt sense impact on others. Um, There can be an aloofness to fours, Um, you know, uh, Hmm. like, uh, you know, like a moving away or like, you know, I I know something about myself that I don't want you to know, if you will. Hmm. If you knew it, you wouldn't want me, you know, in your life. Mm. Okay, there's the four for you. So, type five, um, their verbalizations are fairly minimal. 
and they're um when they do um when they do express you sometimes have to draw them out like you know they might give you a piece of a set of information and then they'll stop uh and they'll especially stop if you interrupt them um because it's like hard you know it takes energy to get it going again get the self going Mm -hmm. again and to get back into the verbal game uh there is also a careful choosing of words and they have a tendency to um to um uh be void of emotional content in their languaging. Now, that's not always because I, I know a lot of fives who are have high degrees of emotion, but they want to keep that locked out when they're interacting mm-hmm. with another. Um, their nonverbal energy is pulled in, you know, like where the eight comes in, <laughs> you know, the energy comes in before the eight does. The five's energy kind of like creeps in, you know, yeah. slowly behind them. They are extremely, they're superior listeners, and uh, there's also, it, it, even though they may be listening really strongly, it may be hard for you to understand um, that they've got you because there's a, not a lot of uh, facial animation. You know, there's a, I, I've seen five sit in the same place for hours and not move, and so you're not going to see a lot of energy expended with the five. That's one way of knowing mm. uh, you have a five around. The other thing I do, typing interviews, you know, uh, hour-long interviews, and generally I'm finished with a fives interview in like 15 minutes because, you know, the (laughs) answers are like, you know, just so like, "Mm, here's Mm -hmm. what you got. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can tell that way. Mm. Type sixes, those are my favorite types, by the way. Everybody thinks, what is wrong with you? But that's true. You know, we have the same worldview, so I feel... Uh, understood by sixes a great deal of the time. But, you know, one of the things I think that can be hard for people is they're questioners and they're, you know, one question begets begets another question and the Mm. questions keep pouring. (laughs) They're, um, they're good at verbalizing how they solve a problem. Um, They, they also engage in, you know, which I think kind of, especially in the corporate world, uh, has people feeling like, oh my gosh, when are they going to stop asking these what if or worst case scenario kinds of questions? Um, I think it was Helen Palmer in the very beginning, she used to call them devil's advocates. And uh, my experience is that that is so true. You know, if if you get, if you say, you know, the sky is falling, um, there's a, you know, like, um, what's the word I want to use? If I say the sky's falling, then, you know, a six might say, well, here's the good side. So, they're always giving, you know, the mm-hmm. opposite of what you're giving. So, if I give everything's good, they'll go, no, here's the negative and, and, and those kinds of things. So, they give you, you know, what's kind of what's missing. They have a tendency mm-hmm. to see that. They, um, they generally show up non-verbally as very thoughtful, warm, affectionate, friendly. They can be ingratiating. You'll know them because they're scanning the room. The only other type I think that scans mm. the room that much is the eight. Um, mm. You know, and I, as an eight, mm. I'm looking for the exits, and so is so are the sixes. How would you differentiate that? Eight, eight scanning for you know, a for any kind of problems that could arise, and how they're going to like take take control or handle it if it does. You know, I also you know had to work really hard to not 
be uncomfortable when my back was to the door. So eights have a tendency to want to be facing the door. Sixes, not so much. I think the six is scanning uh, for signs of danger or scanning for ways that they could get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Remember, they're competency and adequacy based. And so mm-hmm. they, you know, they don't want to get into trouble. So they're scanning for who they have to, you know, um, gain approval from and who they want to, um, you know, want to please. Whereas the aid is scanning for what could be dangerous and how might they need to take over and mm-hmm. and uh, get you know in, in charge. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I say there are th- three um, responses to fear: fight, flight, or freeze. And you mm-hmm. can see the sixes in their nonverbal nonverbalizations engage in all three of those. Mm-hmm. They can be fierce fighters, you know, verbal fighters. Mm-hmm. And I always say uh, if they if a six says to you, "Bet me," don't. <laughs> because they're, <laughs> they're not big risk takers, and <laughs> especially especially the phobics, and they generally know what they're talking about, and they yeah. don't. <laughs> they, so don't bet mm. them if they say bet me. Yeah, because um, they know they know. <laughs> right. right. Uh, anyway, and as you know, sixes can move towards you or away from you, or they can actually freeze up non-verbally. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then finally, last but not least, are the sevens, and they have a tendency to be verbally charming, also uh, non-verbally charming. They're exuberant. They're multifaceted. Uh, they, I mean, they can connect verbal dots. Like it almost feels like the ADHD type. You know, they can connect things for, for, on many different levels. Just you know, brilliant minds from my way of thinking about it. There's a lot of positive reframing, or you know, um, po- they're the you know positivity type, and they're very imaginative. You know, I actually say corporations hire sevens as their creatives uh, over fours because the fours um, somehow don't make it through whatever you know tests the, no. the, the they're giving. I've only seen. Uh, at Procter & Gamble, I've only seen fours in uh, design with a capital D, so they're actually the artists. And in Toyota, I think I've, I've only seen one four, and she was in HR. Um, so, you know, they, they have a ten- corporations have a tendency to hire these imaginative, you know, verbally expressive types like seven. And the seven's nonverbals are, now, if they're engaging with you, they're, they're usually smiling, right? If you're noticing a seven in repose, they usually have a frown. It's kind of interesting to me. I've noticed that over the last several years. They either have a straight line or kind of a downturned mouth. But that's in, their, in, in repose. But when they're engaging with you, they're smiling, they're upbeat, they have a tendency to be optimistic, they can be a little fidgety. You can notice if you're in a conversation with them, uh, the nonverbal cue that says they've just landed on planet Mars and <laughs> left you behind on Earth, mm-hmm. you know, so they can go off all by themselves. Um, there, there has a tendency to be a, um, a verbal and nonverbal, hey, let's talk about me, so a return to me. So mm-hmm. if I'm telling a story, they may jump in with, uh, oh, I did that too, or so there's a self-focus. Mm-hmm. And non-verbally, there can be a distractedness if they're not really um, engaged in what's going on. Thank you so much for doing that. I know that yeah. was, was a lot of work. Uh, I think one more, one more final question. Um, we, all of us love sitting in the, 
in the cognitive space of the Enneagram and, and just learning all we can about it. But I think what we're trying to do with this podcast is, is take the wonderful, vast amounts of information from all different voices, um, hearing them, listening to them, feeling them, and then figuring out a way to, um, I guess, practically apply it and to practice it because the yeah. Enneagram is useless without practice. So right. um, you mentioned when you were talking about children that the language of children is imagination. Is there some level of imagination practice that each center can participate in that helps them reconnect to their child in a way that is gracious and compassionate, some level of practice for each center? Well, you know, you're you're asking uh, basically about the wound. And mm-hmm. what I like to have um, each of the centers do is, you know, a, um, a practice around, you know, opening the heart. Um, because you're right, you know, so much of uh, the study of the Enneagram and, you know, and a lot of the social media platforms uh, use it, you know, uh, in a way that I hate seeing it be used. Um, so what I, what, what I like to see is that, um, that, that we begin to tell stories and I encourage each type and it's not even center, center dominant. It's, it's all types, you know, to keep a journal. What are the thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations that are arising? Hmm. You know, especially if you're noticing yourself in reactivity, what, what's being triggered? Is it true? Is it real? Or is it coming from a wound? You know, so uh, there's a a tracing it back. Hmm. Um, I, I also like to, um, you know, to, to take the centers and say, so if I'm a body center, um, often body types uh, aren't as connected to their body. They misuse it or abuse it somehow, mm. you know, they're not noticing. So do a body uh, center meditation. The head types, I frequently ask them to get into their body <laughs> um, because yeah. they're, you know, there's, there's sometimes a, an unwillingness to do that. And with the heart types, uh, there's a you know an invitation into the mind or the body. So I think you know basically take the center that you're in and work on either you know, noticing that center and what arises, and then um, work on integrating the other two centers. I think you know if we're talking about you know only taking information or as uh, Gurdjieff said, impressions, which is one of our Mm -hmm. foods. If we take the impressions in only through like as as a body type through my body, I'm only one third intelligent. And I think the the beauty of the Enneagram is it teaches us social, emotional leadership intelligence. And so we really want to integrate all three of the centers so that we're, uh, you know, Mm. wholly intelligent instead of, you know, minimally intelligent and i think that's really important mm. i you know mm. third or fourth or fifth or however many things i've said <laughs> um i think it's vital that we have a community i think mm. it's vital that we have a teacher and it's vital that we have the teachings and i recognize that our enneagram teachings you know have some um discrepancies you know and just like anything every over time, yeah. everything evolves, and the Enneagram mm-hmm. has evolved, so some of the books are a little uh, obsolete. And so, we just need to keep you know, sharing our knowledge with one another, keeping our community together, and I think that we need to find teachers. Um, mm-hmm. So, that's why I have a school. I think that's an important component. Mm-hmm. So, so good, Deborah. Thank you so much for that, um, especially just 
bringing some practicality to the information. It's so helpful. And like what Creek said, exactly what we want to do with this space. Um, so thank you again for that. This really has been incredible and you've been masterful and we're really grateful for you and your time. Um, before we wrap up though, I'm curious if you just had anything else briefly that you wanted to share from your heart just for our listeners. Yeah, you know, this is a time where we can slow down and really, you know, look into ourselves and know who we are really. And who we are really is not our type. That is who we are not. As I said before, that's our strategy for success on planet Earth. Who we are are divine beings. We're facets of God. And I think it's essential um, that we uh, as adults, you know, either in, interacting with one another or interacting with our children, that we come at everything with love and compassion and kindness. Open-heartedness is mm. vital. Right now I'm seeing a lot of, you know, um, polarization, which I think is detrimental to our development and to our world. So the more we can, you know, I'm a big big fan of take an enemy to lunch kind of thing so that you can know what you don't know and really listen. The other important thing that I say is listen to understand rather than listening to respond. And that puts us in the present moment with our heart and mind open. That's good. Amazing. Well, finally, uh, could you just tell people where they can find you online and if you have any upcoming things that you've got going sure. on? So you can find me, uh, my email address is deborah.uten at goconscious.com. Um, my um, website is goconscious.com or consciousdynamics.com. Um, I have a Monday uh, I'll call it a Zoom call that my students from all around the world come to, and anybody's welcome. Russ Hudson was with me last week, um, and cool. um, it's a Zoom call that you can, if you want to come, you, all you have to do is send me a you know message either on Facebook or to my email, and I'll send you the link. Uh, I think the actually the IEA puts out a, a weekly, you know, kind of like blurb that tells where all of us who are teaching free teachings uh, during this COVID time are doing it. So you could get it from the IEA as well. So you know, come with questions. I'm always happy to answer. Um, and mm-hmm. um, I do have a school, as you guys know, um, that is online and around the world. So. I love teaching, and it's my passion. And anytime, anytime you have questions, please bring them to me. I also love connecting and communicating. Well, that's thank evident. You so much, Deborah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so it's much. Wonderful being with you. I hope you guys stay safe and well, and your family does well. Yeah, thank you to you as well, Deborah. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time.
Truthwork Media Studios.